You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Chris Bennett, and I help connect businesses with tech freelancers, and I'm your host. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to another episode of the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. Uh, today we've got a fantastic panel with us um, and we'll be exploring uh, privacy engineering and privacy by design. Uh, my introduction has already been pre-recorded as you know, um, so let's get uh, the important things out of the way and find out who we're speaking with today. So we'll come to you Christian first. Uh, Christian, could you introduce yourself please? Yes Chris, thank you very much. Uh, my name is Christian, I am Danish uh, civil engineer been, I may be one of the younger people out here, but uh, I'm heading out a company in Copenhagen. Uh, I'm the CTO of a listed company called Valor. We do uh, matchmaking as a platform. Um, so we find innovation for the big guys, uh, the startups we match with the, with the companies there. And I'm heading out the data team and the privacy and security team. So obviously privacy engineering and privacy design uh, by design is on the top of my mind. So I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. I think it's going to be very valuable. Perfect. Thank you so much for that, Christian. Uh, Jonas, second time on this, isn't it? That's correct. Uh, my name is Jonas Ille, and I'm the head of information security at Detectify. We are a SaaS company uh, working with external attack surface management, so basically helping our customers understand their attack surface and help them scan for vulnerabilities and misconfigurations. Perfect, perfect. And our final member, this is your first time, Laurits. Yes, hello. Uh, my name is Laurits. I'm the Cyber Engineering Manager for IKEA. That is, I work with uh, privacy and security by design and product development. Uh, not furniture, not chairs, but in IT product development. Um, I'm part of a large organization where we have around uh, 30 to 40 uh, privacy engineers working and uh, around 150 to 200 uh, cyber engineers, meaning both security and privacy people uh, in general. I've been working with this field for four years and I have a degree in IT and in law. Thank you. Perfect, perfect. Um, so for people who've listened to this um, podcast before, um, it's simply going around the table. We've got six questions to go through today, um, and hopefully a few a few other questions will come up within this. Um, we're going to come to Christian first, uh, who asked the question: What tools and techniques have you been exposed to and succeeded, failed with in terms of implementing privacy engineering? Why did it go as it did? How would you potentially do it better if you had to start over? So. Um, Christine, give us some uh, context of, of, of the question and, and maybe some of your thoughts on some of the tools and techniques that you use. Yes, of course. Thank you. Well, obviously, I would like to learn from, from some of the talented gentlemen around the table so we don't do the, the same mistakes or we succeed in an equal way. Our company is heading into or is you know very much involved with our data privacy and information security. But since we are a startup and you know, recently stock listed, but still on the growth journey, we're facing a lot of these issues as when we grow into a certain amount of people, management around the offices, all these things where actually you, know, you face and you build as you go. So in that term, um, of course, we've been through data mappings. We've 
I'm a very big fan of agile uh, in, in terms of building anything product related. And I try to apply that together with my head of data privacy. So those are some of the tools I use. And, and I guess I'm seeing some of the possible outcomes that, that could either fail or succeed. So that's, that's the foundation of this, I guess. Okay. Uh, Larry, should we come to you first? Tools and techniques have you been exposed to? Um, okay, thank you. So I, I think I think an important point to note here is like from IKEA's point of view, we work very closely with the product development teams, meaning the people who are actually building and doing these things. So the privacy engineer sits and works together with them. And for that, we mainly use a GRC tool, meaning a tool where we ask questions, we deliver, we, we walk through this. And then we work with them uh, on the Jira backlog afterwards, meaning, you know, what do they actually need to do and how do we implement this? Where does it stand? Where does it go? Things like this, right? But we also have a big product organization. We're talking uh, at least more than 200 product teams working at any given time on a development of some kind. Uh, so it's very large and, and, and very extensive. Um, that, that also means there's their sort of uh, job to, to implement these things, to find the, the, the solution and to and to work on it. So to answer the question, we have the uh, we have sort of like I said the GSC tool, and then on top of that, we have uh, the expert knowledge on the technologies used because they are so varied. There are so many of them. They are so different, right? So sometimes we might talk about explainable AI. Other times we're talking about things like um, let me give an example like uh, um, biometric information that is being dealt with through. Uh, facial recognition, other things. Other times we're speaking about uh, like um, customer master databases, all that kind of things, right? So there's not one tool that services all needs for us. And therefore we have to deep dive into the technology together with the product teams and together with the other teams and speak about privacy uh, on their terms. And, and that is sort of the way that we work with things. Um, we have tried to standardize some things, but in our experience, it doesn't work simply because we have too many teams working across on too many different platforms, too many different things. But that is also the, the problem when you have such a large company as IKEA is, uh, that, that it doesn't scale very well to say, let's stick to this or let's only do that, or this is the technique we think we should, you should be using. Um, there's so many, so big a variety in the types of technologies out there and the types of purposes in the types of everything that it has been hard for us to standardize. That being said, we're actually working on it now uh, to, to say, well, how can we standardize even though technology varies so much uh, and the purposes vary so much? So that's something that we've got ongoing. Thank you. Larry, with, with, with the TRC's tool, uh, how long have you been using that? Um, so we started using that when we built the, uh, the, the operational privacy team, which is uh, three years ago. And it's yeah. the one that we still use, but we're actually looking into moving into more uh, automated ways of, of working based, like I said before, on standards rather than um, product by product basis. But it is sort of a maturity journey to reach that point. Um, and, and not and, just something you build overnight. And, and to Christian's kind of second part of the question, um, if you had to start over, would you do anything differently? Um, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough question, right? Be, be, because the reason why we're doing things differently is because we we built the maturity to do things differently, right? So we now understand the business, how it works. We understand a lot of data flows and these kind of things. So that's where I would go. What I would say is, you know, that that 
that understanding your data elements and your infrastructure and how it's built and the possibilities that they bring, I think is the number one thing. And then I would also say maybe start with tooling that is already using autom automated things such as, as, as your data flows, your other things, things that can connect into your current IT environment. Maybe start there instead of ending there. Then you will already have a, um, a head start. That being said, it's not an easy thing if you haven't already classified your data. If you don't under already understand your environment and things like this, then you might start on the peak and you would maybe have an easier time if you started with general GLC tooling uh, rather than the more complex uh, IT landscape. Um, Jonas, what are your thoughts on Christian's question? Um, I, mean, I think uh, Lawrence pointed out some really good topics here and uh, if you look at smaller companies like startups i think don't try to find uh sort of one size fits all tool in, in the beginning because you want to be agile as you mentioned and i think in order to be that you should use basically the tools that you're already using and then just simple things around that notes whatever you have to make sure that you don't try to sort of find one tool and fit your ways of working and do that because you will change so much over time so trying to find something that will help you with pre-server design will probably just reduce your capacity to work efficiently and, and move forward so rather look at the ways that you're actually working and try to build uh previous by design into them instead and then just export the things you need to keep track of over time um because in that way you can you can adapt as you develop rather than try to uh, commit to one specific tool. Because my experience with a lot of tools that are very privacy by design oriented are basically just Excels with, with a nicer interface uh, and, and often cost quite a lot. <laughs> so uh, really focus on the things that matters and, uh, and and skip the tools initially at least but then as you grow of course you might need to have some grc tools or similar that can help you sort of formalize things uh, better over time but definitely not in the in the beginning i would say okay and have you got any war stories as well Jonas? <laughs> quite a few <laughs> uh no but i think uh what to avoid in the beginning is is trying to be too formalized and trying to map everything into one process. Instead, try to find the requirements that you have and the things you need to fulfill in order to sort of stay compliant and work with data in a sort of in a hygiene way and, and share those requirements with all the various teams being developers or sales or, or whatever. Because when you start to find this overall master process, when you get into the details, you will realize that this ain't gonna work and then you spend months and months on planning something that in the end uh doesn't work in practice and, and that's what you really avoid because that's that's what i've experienced uh, myself that put a lot of effort into some procedures that ended up just going into the trash can because we didn't we didn't talk to the teams larry yeah and i would also say you know get get the fundamentals of of privacy right right um, and that that really consists of of thinking about. So when you look at when you, I'm just going to reference the GDPR here. When you look at the GDPR, right? Uh, actually, a big amount of the fines that are given from uh, the data protection authorities is around the basics, meaning Article Five, meaning 
Are you collecting what you should be collecting? Are you using it for the correct purposes? Are you being fair and transparent in your practices? All these very standard principles are really the ones where constantly we're seeing fines being pulled out, where we're seeing uh, them coming after big tech companies, small tech companies, all that kind of thing. Is that is that the transparency is lacking, the basic principles that is lacking. So that is like a foundational start. So if you want to start with privacy by design, you have to ask sort of these basic questions around what it is that you're trying to do and then say, can we minimize that? Can we do less around that? And then on top of that, later on, maybe you can think about privacy enhancing technologies as well. Like how can they help you to uh, minimize data? How can they help you to pseudonymize data? All this kind of thing. But it shouldn't be the starting point because you have to ask yourself some very basic questions about your processing at first and get those things right. And then you can take the, the step up to the tools. But people selling you tools will not tell you that. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but but it's a really important point, I think. Um, fantastic. Um, Christian's second question was: um, When it comes to privacy by design, how how do you suggest getting adoption within an organisation to be proactive rather than reactive with privacy initiatives? And uh, to follow up, any war stories, any big successes that you can share? Um, Jonas, will come to yourself on the, this one first. If that's okay. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, no, but I think, um, as Laura said, get the fundamentals right and include them in your in your daily operations and in your strategic planning that you have. Uh, what I've experienced myself is that you often try to sort of get some type of compliance gate at the end of a development project or so, but everyone knows that the development time is quite long for some cases and sometimes it has to be super fast. So having those strict compliance gates in the end will never help you because you won't be able to go back and redo the work needed sort of um, meet expectations and requirements. So really try to understand the procedures that, that you have and include once again, as mentioned earlier, privacy requirements early on in all the different processes, regardless if it's a development project or a sales project or, or whatever. So include it over time and make sure that you take responsibility as a process owner or an asset owner, what you may be, um, uh, and keep it with you over time and, and do it early on uh, and not in the end of any type of process. Doris? Yeah, so back when we started uh, what was at that time called privacy operations, we were three people. Uh, starting in a whole new digital organization within IKEA, and we had to find out how the heck do you do uh, privacy by design. So at that time, we were three people, and we nobody knew who we were. Nobody had ever heard us about us within the organization, and so we did the only thing we could, which was we walked around the desk of developers and asked, "Hello, what, what are you working on? Do you need help with privacy?" Um, and this kind of thing. And so we took a very practical approach because we had no idea what was going on who to ask where to where to go and so we just started talking with people working with things and saying hey do you need help and as as sort of the reputation grew and we started to get more and more inquiries that was when we started to become uh like really established within the organization but we had that i would say it wasn't a long period it was maybe a period of two months where we did all the legwork constantly we sort of uh, just sat next to people and and tried to gain information from them about what was happening and what they needed help with uh, and how we could sort of support this. 
so that was a big part of of, of our maturity journey. Um, and I think that that for us made the entire difference, right? The fact that we are not uh, sitting out there somewhere and reviewing an Excel sheet that you're describing to us, but that we work directly with the product teams and with the people. We're bringing expertise to the table. We're helping you analyze and doing this kind of thing. And uh, and we together with, uh, I would like to give a shout out here to Rima Khan, who is uh, who was the head of privacy operations and now the head of privacy enablement, as it's called within IKEA. Uh, together, we did some really, really uh, hard uh, startup work to get these fundamentals in place, to get people trained, to get everything onboarded uh, in the way that we that that we did. That we grew from three people to now, like I said, about forty uh, people within a few years. But if we hadn't sit with them, if we hadn't worked with them, if we didn't take it as like a compliance exercise, uh, take it as more than a compliance exercise, then we wouldn't have seen the success that we have today. Um, Christine, um, just come back to you on this question, to be honest. I mean, have you got any kind of war stories or kind of what are your thoughts on your own question? Yeah, I mean, it, it perfectly aligns with, with at least some of the ways we approached it in the beginning, not because we were as smart as Laurets uh, in way of actually approaching it or you had it from the scratch, but maybe actually the same way we, you know, had to introduce this. I got myself familiar enough with the subject before we onboarded uh, our our head of data privacy and, and with a focus on information security on the back of that. And from that, I immediately saw the, the potential risk of doing a, you know, here are a million policies and let's pour them all, all over uh, the entire crowd in the company and hope that people read them. Uh, so that was also my desire that we, we need to take that bottom up. Uh, and that, that naturally became, you know, we did a whole data mapping, of course, and all the process back in the day. And that then made our teams and especially our developers aware of the fact that, oh, there's something also to be gathered and gained here. And we are seeing the fruit of that by the involvement of people coming to us uh, and being, what about this? You know, should we have a, a symbol as a term of terms and conditions here or whatever it is? And, and then it actually becomes a thought process that is that is part of the team instead of this whole, uh, as, as Jonas said, some kind of gate at the end or, or whatever it, it, it shouldn't be. Um, so that's that's part of the success stories, I, I guess, doing the agile startup way on on that basis actually helped with the adoption. Anything that didn't work? Oh, <laughs> when when we when we produce a policy that's forty pages and expect someone to read it, <laughs> that's the wrong way around. Uh, it can be used to design a process, but uh, it's not necessarily how we get the adoption. That's that's the opposite of adoption. Uh, Laritz. Yeah, so I think I think there's a really good point there to mention uh, is, you know, that that if you don't start and you don't get out over the ramps, you, you won't learn. Right. We had a our road wasn't like a road to success. It was full of dead ends and frustrations when we were trying to reach the correct people, find out what was going on, find the best way to work with them and things like this. Uh, we had a lot of pushback. We had a lot of uh, fights that we had to take about this and about our approach and our way of working and you're coming here with a non-functional requirement to a product team that has a deadline, you know, the, the pushback can actually be, be quite massive, you know, even though you have good intentions. And so we had to we had to work with that and sort of overcome that. And I think that 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 you're correct that uh, Christian, when you say that that the way to overcome that is to adopt the ways of working of the of the product teams that you're working with, right? Um, or at least to get as close to it as possible with 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 the privacy activities that we are trying to do. Um, 
on top of that. Perfect. Um, Jonas, one of your questions um, was who should own the responsibility for privacy by design? Um, what are your thoughts, Jonas? It's a good question. I think uh, you definitely need someone who, who has a sort of overview. If that's a CISO, if it's a privacy coordinator, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, when it comes to the actual like performance and making sure that it happens throughout the teams, I think you need to push it out to uh, a process owner or an asset owner because having that centralized ownership when it comes to, to the daily operations, then that person won't be able to, to do their work properly because in the end, it's so many integrated details that you need to really understand the component or the thing that you're actually looking at in the mm -hmm. details in order to, to make it and to meet the requirements. I think you need to, in the end, have ownership further down the, the, the hierarchy or so. Um, but definitely is that, central. Is, is that the setup you've got over at Detectify? Uh, yes, yes, we do. And has it always been that, or have you gone through like a change, or how's it worked? Um, well, I've only been here for a year, so <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> I was before. But at that time, when I joined, uh, that was the setup that was. Uh, implemented at that time. I think they've been running that for quite a while. And from my previous experience as well, uh, from, from former companies, that's that's the way we have worked with it as well. Uh, and the implementations that I have done uh, as a consultant, then we have followed that model as well. Because we realized quite, quite early on that you needed to distribute it. Otherwise, you would never, um, would never work. Um, Christian, who should own the responsibility for privacy by design? I would say everyone. Uh, it's it's as I mean, of course, everyone in the organization. That's a little bit of a cheating answer. That that doesn't really fly. But I would say, especially product owners. But just as if you run and and as we do, it has both the impact of uh, uh, there's a, a budgeting thing. We're not as fortunate as uh, IKEA to have so many talented privacy engineers. But also in in terms of how we then when we build and we scale. It's a it's a deal of just if you can turn or twist it as is what we are trying turn the the problem statement into not uh, here is a, a dangerous area called data but this is how you make the customer happy that's that's how I you know try to sell it and really ultimately want to implement it because it is what makes the customer happy of course it also avoids us getting fined and all that stuff but that's to have that proactive approach and to avoid you know having it as a detached element then it needs to be not necessarily on top of the mind and not the main thing, but it needs to be part of the workflow in, in especially the product owners, but the, the development teams to think this in. And then it's possible to raise a question to the privacy engineers or the privacy professionals that can help. Um, but that's that's where I would like the uh, the responsibility to be at. Of course, you can have a central ownership, but uh, but that's that's at least what we're striving for. It, it's not easy. I can I can do. And, and Christian, how, how do you kind of practically implement that? I mean, have you got groups of teams that is there a discussion every quarter about this is it a monthly discussion how have you been implementing this kind of total accountability of the of the of the teams at, at the beginning part was actually the whole data mapping and, and understanding our organization and then assigning and making sure that the the process owners uh, and specialists were aware of what that meant uh, so we assign whatever process is there there's someone ultimately accountable for something of course, we are a smaller organization, I mean, relatively, so there's, you know, it's not that spread out, 
but that helps have at least the initial, oh, I should think about this. And then when it becomes something you are, I will say, forced to think about in a couple of iterations, maybe once in a while we catch a product feature that goes a little too far and we're like, eh, maybe we forgot something here. Then it becomes, okay, it actually helps my workflow if this becomes part of the process. And then it is the, the positive reinforcement of saying, well, we, if we think this in, our product will be better. Um, so it's uh, it's at the very root, but uh, we, are, we are in the process. So I, I can't say that it's a success story yet, but I, right, I hope that's going to be the outcome. Um, Larich? Yeah, so so in IKEA we actually have the um, we have we have a place with sort of the the CISO team or with cybersecurity as as we call it or with cyber in general, um, but that is the the responsibility for the process and sort of the helping the actual responsibility or accountability for implementing it. You know, like saying, well, now we need to code it into the thing, we need to build it. That ultimately sits with the product teams, right? Um, and and sort of saying well we have these requirements they have these things we need to do well how do we actually build that in and how do we code it out that sits there um but when we started out we also quickly realized that there was a problem with sort of saying well we're going to leave it to the product team 100 right we have a general thing that says a general policy that says oh you need to build in privacy by design and now you have to do it but the issue was that uh, privacy is a really difficult topic that requires a lot of help. It requires a lot of people uh, sort of sitting with you and talking about this. And it's not always something that they had. So in many ways, the privacy engineering role uh, is very much a consultative role that you work together with and which comes with a defined process with things we look at with takes on technology and this kind of thing. But in the future, we are going to merge these two. We are going to merge code and uh, privacy together and we're working on these things as we're speaking now um, and this is we believe is 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 the future of it right it's not only the the the, the like the consultative part and the and the compliance check but it's it's actually having tools like privacy tools that helps you do these checks and not just DRC tools but actual tools that looks into te the technology that sees these things and work on it. And security for a long time has had the fortune of, of having these things, right? We have penetration testing tools, we have vulnerability scanning tools, but they're not really built to see things like fairness, to see how, like, should they really pull out this data that they're pulling out right now and these kind of things. And this market for these types of very privacy specific tools is something that we're only starting to seeing emerge within the past few years. Um, so that I believe is 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 the future, but the expertise and the, and the ways of working sits with us and then the actual implementation afterwards sits together with the product teams. But we are there throughout the whole work, throughout the whole life cycle of this. Um, perfect. Um, to be honest, the second question was, um, how do you ensure privacy by design throughout the full life cycle and not just the compliance check during the development process? Um, just give us some context, Jonas. Yeah, and I mean, as we as we talked about earlier in the conversation here today, I mean, uh, having the compliance check in the end of the process when you develop something is definitely not best practice. So, but a lot of people in companies, us included, have it throughout the development process. But once you have put something into production, then my understanding, my experience, that it's it sometimes forgotten when it's out there running, and you may not 
necessarily update the component to to fit the the needs and the changes related to personal data or so and also when you're about to retire a component or so what do you do with the data and, and, and how do you retrieve it should you delete it should you use some other purpose so keeping track of it throughout not just the development phase but also after i think that's that's something that has not been discussed as much as you know in the requirement and the building stage uh, i think that's a, that's a large issue um Loritz, we'll come to you first on this um how do you ensure it yeah so i mean this is a really great question right because as jonas says it's 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 often that things get tacked on later right because whoever built it had uh, large focus on sort of the uh, on, on the functional requirements and the deadlines that had to be met and and everything right and then sort of privacy was 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 thrown by the wayside uh, in general we try to catch things as early in 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 development as possible right so so meaning already at the planning phase uh, it should be there and we're also sort of training people in this and talking about this right if you read uh, article 25 of the GDPR, it actually says that privacy by design has to be thought of at the time of the determination of what type of technology you're using. So not even at the time of implementation, but at the time when you're thinking, ah, I'm going to use machine learning to do this uh, data analysis that I want to do, or we're going to store the whole thing in the cloud. At that time, the privacy by design process must start, at least from a legal perspective, right? How many companies actually get to do that? I'm not sure. But that's also where we have started, right? We've said, okay, well, let's start at the point where you know that you're going to build something and you know, and you've sort of decided on technology. Now is the time that we come in and, and we discuss together with you these things and we start working out this. And then, of course, when there's any major releases or any major changes that comes up, with regards to that, then then you build on top of it, you return and you said, well, is what we said last time still valid? What is What are we looking at here? And even if there is no major changes, then things will have to be reviewed, like let's say the year after, where you go back and you say, well, what, what was it we built into this one year ago? And how can we now uh, look at whether or not this is still valid? Uh, so having sort of these checks throughout, and then finally also, you know, the decommission phase. And decommission is actually really important because we have seen uh, cases where companies, they didn't properly decommission something that was full of privacy uh, information like the Marriott case, and they just sit there and they have uh, servers that they're no longer supporting, uh, running with privacy, uh, sorry, with personal data, and all of a sudden uh, they're insecure and a hacker steals all the information sitting there. So it's a whole life cycle consideration, right? That you have to put in so you have to be aware of managing these things of saying well when did we start development when do we start the process we say we, you started when you've chosen technology and then at the end of of the life cycle saying well you actually need to get rid of those old servers right don't sit have them like sitting somewhere and 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 be unsupported uh, get rid of that stuff uh, and make sure that we have the data needed to to carry on uh, in the future as well so so that is that is uh, how i think uh, how we think see it should be managed um christian your thoughts yeah i obviously agree in a, in a lot of the points here um and i think it's it, it goes very very well in the whole let's make sure that we like do what is necessary the whole um, collect the data we need and then when we don't have it so the whole workflow of that i think in our practical setup, uh, it's this 
checkpoints simply as having checkpoints within some of the like the Jira board of the development workflows and being well, it has stages, it has acceptance criteria. And when we work with personal data, there's also things to go through. And then with the whole decommission, that's actually well, not something we are as focused on yet with us. We have some legacy tools we're closing down soon. So that's actually something that we have to, to start working on. So I'm, I'm happy I got a little bit of uh, inspiration here. Um, but that's also true, just as it's a cost or a, you know, infrastructure and a efficiency exercise is also a data privacy exercise uh, throughout the entire process. So from idea to decommission, it is a life cycle um, and it needs to be treated as such, not just a, you know, let's check it once and leave it. Um, we have practically some partial DPIAs we're running uh, in the workflow and then we assess on, on the back of that if it's necessary to dig deeper. But again, ideally we want these things to be flagged or thought about when it happens. But of course, that's the whole organizational adoption uh, that's uh, never perfect, but but hopefully continuously improve. That's a really good point, Christian. And I was just thinking actually there on Larry's points that this is actually in the manual that this needs to be done when the technology is chosen. How often is it done? Is it is this? Uh, I'm scared to ask this question, but I thought uh, I bet a lot of listeners are, are thinking about this. Is it, do I even ask you to put a percentage or a number on it? Or I'm just getting a lot of shaking heads. <laughs> Go on, Larry. Once you've built enough awareness around it, right? And once people have gone through it and realized that, well, we didn't do it in the beginning, and now we sit and we do this, and in the worst case scenario, right, you, you, you stop the production environment. You stop things and you say like, hey, we need to stop this processing because something is wrong, or we found these in these issue, right? And that that's everybody's nightmare, right? And once you've lived through that once, the rumors also will begin spreading and, and, and all of a sudden, right, people come to you before they even know what, what they're going to do. And they will say, well, we really need help with privacy. And we go like, well, what do you need help with? And they say, well, we're thinking about building something, but we don't know what and with what technology. And it's like, well, maybe uh, you're a little bit early now, but great that you're that you're asking us this question. So there is a little bit of of trial and error, and I shouldn't I shouldn't say that because you know that's GDPR doesn't have room for trial and error, especially with production data, but. Um, but but nevertheless, uh, it, it, such is the reality of development, right? Uh, that, that you sit and, and do that, but it's not something you want to experience, right? When the whole production is up and running and you have to retrofit everything, uh, at that point, you know, rumors will also start spread that, hey, we should probably uh, fix this beforehand or at least start thinking about now. I suppose that's, I mean, IKEA have got the luxury of people like yourself and a massive team that if a developer's got a question, people have got time to answer that question. If a software engineer is listening today in a, in a much smaller company, where do you recommend they start with this type of thing if, if they don't have the luxury of that in-house knowledge? And that's I, to, to anyone. Okay. I would say I would say start right now with 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 the technology, right? It's it's never too late. Even if you didn't do it before, even if you haven't thought about it before, you know, just just start and start looking at things. And there's plenty of resources out there, cheap resources, cheap uh, uh, Excel files and checklists, and all that kind of thing that you can download to get a basic overview of 
are we doing sort of the right things, right? If you don't need a full privacy operations management program, at least you can start with these things if you've never done it before. And otherwise, put in some checks if you're a small company that is developing solutions or doing things, put in some checks whenever you're building a microservice on top, whenever you're doing something new that is changing fundamentally the way things are working or even just slightly the way things are working, just keep a small document or a small list somewhere saying, do we need a, a, a privacy review now? Do we need to consider this at this point in time? Yes or no? Uh, very simple things can really come a long way uh, with regards to that. Uh, Christian? Yeah, and I would say as the, the, you know, the biggest role of a good developer is knowing how to Google. Uh, so that also helps. Um, of course, look up the answer. A lot of people have faced this before. And in your network, if you're a startup or a scale up in a certain stage, we're all dealing with this stuff and we are happy to bounce ideas, share or, or give feedback. It is, you know, both with GDPR, but especially now and we work a lot with, with AI in our company, it's, it's actually in our name. Uh, it's like the AI directive uh, from, from the European Union and all this stuff. No one has any idea what it is. We're trying, all of us are trying to figure it out. It, it might resolve in something tangible. Um, and that's that's the job of, of us, the companies, to work with, implement tests and trial and error. It happens. Of course, we make mistakes and everybody does, but it's uh, it's something we, we, we fix and, and we can help each other. Okay. Um, no, some fantastic points there. Uh, Christian, do you have your hand up again or have you just not put your hand down? Okay, good stuff. That was a shake of the head uh, for people who couldn't see him. Um, um, Lewitz, uh, we might have touched on some of these points um, on your first question, but what procedures and checks do you have in place for privacy engineering? Do you want to give us some context um, about the question and anything you've got in place already that we've not mentioned? Yeah, I mean, I mean, before uh, anything goes live from from sort of our side, right? We will have, we will have whoever is the recipient, right? Because the, the digital organization itself doesn't develop it anything for itself, right? It has customers out there. It has another side of the business that actually accepts this, and 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 privacy and trust and this kind of thing is really important to to IKEA. Luckily, so we actually have a huge buy-in from from the business itself that would say like, hey. Thanks for developing this. Where is your privacy documentation that everything is fine and it looks great, right? And and this is uh, has been a key part also to our success, right? We haven't had anything that that got sort of released that hadn't uh, where people don't get sorry where the business side or other sides doesn't come back to 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 the whoever has developed it and asks for these things and asks these questions around it. Um, and that I would say is, is is a great sort of contributor to the checks right that at the very end somebody who is receiving this at the other side asks for this and that also makes uh, all the difference in the world uh, from our perspective so i mean aside from that we have the whole life cycle procedure that i just sort of mentioned right but at the very end is you know the stopper um that that makes the whole difference and um you want to come to you, what, what procedures and checks do you have in place for privacy engineering? Yeah, I think we um, we have included privacy in, in the basic requirements for, for any story that's about to be to be done, so to say. And we keep that with us throughout the entire life cycle. So the first question basically we have to, to answer is that will this affect personal data in any way? And if there's a yes there, then the list becomes more and more complicated depending on what you're supposed to do. 
And I think taking that question up front, then you heavily reduce the risk of missing out or having to do it in some sort of retrospect fashion, uh, either further down the process or worst case while in production, because that's what we always need to avoid. So really taking it up front, the first thing you do, and then have it depending on how you, the complexity of it throughout the entire um, uh, development chain, basically. But taking the question up front is definitely our yeah, best way of working here. Um, Laurie, she got your hand up. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with Jonas. I love the idea of working with, you know, backlog items and user stories and all that kind of thing that 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 helps you to say, yes, we did this. No, we didn't do this. Yes, we worked on this and we did it in, in, in this and this and what way and having it standardized in sort of a way that that you have like the basics there, some basic privacy requirements there already. You've come a long way um, on, on this road, right? And then there's some very tech specific stuff, some very uh, things that you can't necessarily see in and of yourself. Like, for example, well, is this a dark pattern? I was trying to to cheat people into giving some some data privacy and other things here, right? Which you cannot necessarily capture in the user story. All that kind of thing you can you can build on as as you go down the line. But all the basic checks and points you've you've already done eighty percent of the work if you manage to do that within your own uh, stories and your own way of working with it. Christian. Yeah, I think uh, obviously it's uh, we're not going to have much disagreement around the table here, but. Uh, from, from my perspective and, and from what we've done, I have got the very fortunate experience of having a very talented data privacy guy in who has a long background with all that. And he came with a, a privacy framework. I think it's one of the only that's made for uh, personal information and, and managing that. It's, it's BSI 10,012 for anyone who's interested. Um, but, but that's also, again, when we have, and as we discussed earlier, there's a lot of information security out there that has a lot of processes, standardization, there's a lot of certificates, which doesn't really match what we need in Europe with the GDPR. Uh, and what we then have done here is, you know, need some kind of foundation, what drives the program, uh, any kind of standard you can find that takes this as the, as the forefront. And then you build in and have the requirements that you can then share with your uh, development teams of, you know, data retention, data mapping, physical assets, breach, whatever is uh, part of that, that links back and is built on the basis of GDPR and, and actually protecting uh, personal data, because it is different than just, I say just information security, uh, but it is, and I did quotation marks, uh, I, I keep forgetting we're not on camera, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Christian, so, uh, will, you, will you put your top on, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. But yeah, I think that's a, that's the that's the main deal here. Uh, make sure you have a framework, uh, and if you can find something out there, again, there's a lot of material available online for that. But it helps to have that as a foundation. Perfect. And for the listeners, Christian does have his top on. By the way, that was a joke. Um, might be a poor one, depends on the type of comedy. Um, okay, uh, let's go to uh, the final question that we're discussing today, and this is from Lawrence. Um, how do you train the hardcore tech people in privacy values like fairness, transparency, and accountability? Um, give us some context of, of why you asked the question, Lawrence. Yeah, so so the reason I asked the question is because when, when you're dealing a lot of times with like, uh, you know, really tech savvy people, sometimes like the fact that, or like let's say security people, some security people will say, well, 
privacy and security are the same thing. Security is privacy, but that's only partly true, right? Because at the end of the day, you can have an ISO certification, but it won't tell us anything, uh, ISO security certification, but it won't tell us anything about whether or not you're being lawful and transparent with your data processing. You could do many legal things and still be completely secured in your environment. And so a big part of privacy is also these more soft requirements, right, where you're looking at are we being fair, are we being transparent and this kind of thing. And that I found is not necessarily an, a very easy thing to, 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 um, to train on or to speak to, to, um, to, to people about who are not used to thinking in these terms, right? The soft side of privacy often is, is a more difficult side to talk about. Um, Jonas? Yeah, but I fully agree. Um, and I, I remember when we sort of did a lot of implementation projects with like GDPR uh, when it was launched, so to say, and uh, and the discussions we had with with legal teams and and the hardcore developers, so to say, and the you basically need an interpreter in between there to understand specifically those sort of soft concepts like lawfulness and so and my. My experience is that you can't see that in a video or in a training, but it has to be discussed and has to be discussed over time. It has to be discussed for a lot of actual use cases because um, by having five example cases that will work for those five cases. But when the, those developers head into a new product or new component or new service, then all of that will be basically out the window because then you have a completely new use case. And you also need to include the business to understand what is it that we actually want to achieve? What is it that we want to give to our customers or our internal customers, if it's HR or, or, or so. So having a lot of dialogues over time, I think is the only way, because this is not some, something you can learn once, because you need to understand the full thing that you're trying to build or do. Otherwise, those concepts will be um, very, very difficult to understand. There's nothing textbook here. And, and Jonas, how do you keep that conversation going? Well, it's, it's very difficult. I think if you have a larger organization, then you need to appoint a lot of people who has the sort of mentality around it within various teams. At Detectify, we have what we call security champions that also work with privacy, that helps out within their team to discuss these concepts in development or whatever it may be. So find people who understand sort of the mentality around those concepts and have them drive the discussions over time. That's that's one way, because it's difficult for one or two people to, to do it because they won't have the time, unfortunately. Um, I'm going to come to Christian first, Loritz. Um, so Christian, just say your point. What uh, kind of, how do you train the tech people uh, in these issues? I think it's, um... I guess it's fortunate and unfortunate right now that we have a lot of issues with big tech collecting much more data than they should and all that stuff. So the way we approach it and, and I have success approaching it is, is through making it tangible and personal and relating to your own situation and case. I wouldn't call uh, some of our developers you know, tin, tinfoil hat people, but they do care about their data and they are aware on how much data is collected. So relating with all of these elements that you know, wouldn't you like to have all the services you use to respect your privacy and therefore shouldn't we do that as well is a very powerful statement and foundation for this. 
Uh, of course, it just doesn't happen when you say that, but it's a way of, of starting the conversation that, you know, if we all do this, then none of us have to put stickers on our webcams or, or whatever else it is we, we all feel required to do. So that's at least a practical approach. And of course, it, you know, there's a lot of ways of approaching that. And I think it's it's the same both with the hardcore tech, but also with the marketing and, and sales and the other parts of the organization, because you can get detached from your job and, you know, the, the impact. Uh, and, and you need to treat it as, as you would treat yourself, I guess. Um, Larry, she had your hand up there. Yeah, and I here I also ag agree with the Jonas. Dialogue is really one of the best ways of going forward, right? Because, and, and there is a huge bridge to gap here between like, uh, let's say, you know, a lot of places they, they will have like the in-house lawyer, they will ask their lawyer these questions, right? But lawyers don't speak tech and tech don't speak law. And there is this gap there where somebody needs to sit down and understand the other part. And I think a champion program, uh, we call it Jedi program in IKEA. Um, that is uh, like a very strong thing to get this kind of thing. And we have, um, and, and of course, like training awareness and, and, the, and the full discussion, right? But also think about, you know, like your company values and your company culture, right? Uh, if, if you have like these sort of values or if you don't have these sort of values and reference back to them, IKEA has a set of like company values that encompasses such things. So it, we're encouraged constantly to think about these things in any case, right? So it's not just a fight between legal and, 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 and the product teams. There is also a culture there that sort of values such questions and, and ethics and things like that. And that I think is also part of it, right? Think about your own culture. Can you refer back to that? And that is a really strong tool uh, for you to use in, in your everyday life as well. That's a brilliant point. Um, has anyone got any final points on, on this last question, Jonas or Christian? We had, um, we encountered recently privacy as code. I think it's a company called Ethica, uh, which is a little bit on, uh, back to Lawrence's point that the, well, maybe the solution or where we're moving is, you know, tech that speaks law and the other way around. This is a practical company that that enables, you know, API uh, that treats data and builds that into your code. But the idea being that it, it, it again, shouldn't be two camps. Uh, and that's, I think, where we're moving. And our goal is, of course, slowly bridging that gap. Um, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Um, okay, well, if you're still listening, uh, I really appreciate that. Fascinating discussion. And um, thank you very much to the panel uh, for joining us today. Um, I feel like this conversation is going to go on for a while, <laughs> uh, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, thank you again.